It is a blessing to sing psalms and hymns and to hear the, the aged singing as well as the young. Well, let us pray. Let us go to the Lord and ask for his help. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you might be with us this evening as you have called us into your presence, as we have longed for it throughout the week, looking forward to this day that you've given to us, even as we've gathered together and worshiped you this morning as we continue, as we gather to end our day in worshiping, lifting up our praises to you. Lord, we ask that the Spirit would would open our eyes and ears to your truth. Lord, we ask that, that we might leave this place more like our Savior. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, last Sunday evening we concluded our sermon series, Moving Through the Gospel According to... Luke, and tonight uh, we're going to be looking at the incarnation, the incarnation through the promised offspring that we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So if you'll turn your Bibles uh, almost all the way to the left, on your devices there, probably the first book that's offered, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, our, our sermon passage, really our sermon verse this evening. Uh, that we're looking at. Uh, it's referred to as the Proto-Ungulion. Maybe a simpler way to say it would just be the, the first gospel, first place that we see in the scriptures, uh, the gospel given to us. This is God's perfect and errant and sufficient word. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. One of the Bled Boys, one of my sons in particular, really enjoys military history. And uh, he in particular likes World War II. Over the years, he's he's studied a little bit, learned about it. There's some things in particular that he uh, likes more than others when it comes to studying it. But I, I think if you were to talk to him and ask him about World War II, maybe say, I'd like to learn more about it, he probably wouldn't suggest that you start studying at the surrender of the Axis or that you start studying at D-Day. But he'd encourage you to, to look, to, to see what, what were the underlying currents, what was the... What was happening and building in the world, particularly in Europe, that would would cause us to be thrown into such a conflict? Start there. Start at the beginning. I'm sure if you you pick out a new series that you want to stream through one of your uh, streaming apps, you probably don't go to the season finale and watch it first. I mean, maybe you do, but... I've never done that. It sounds a little strange. You probably don't go to the middle and say, well, I wonder what happens about middle of season one. Start there. You, you go to the, the pilot or the first episode. So you have an idea. What's going on? Is, 
as they are building this world, as they are introducing you to characters and the themes, and you see what, what is the thrust of the storyline that, that I'm about to watch and follow. You need to start in the beginning. Now, you may have noticed, whether it's entering the grocery store or perhaps maybe in your neighborhood or the streets around you, there's, there's lights being put up in people's yards and music's changing on the radio and it's getting a little colder here in East Tennessee. And we're entering into the kind of like Christmas season in the United States. For the next month or so, there will be parties and fun things and hectic. And UPS will be running 24 hours a day, delivering packages. All types of things are happening. One of the wonderful things there is that we're going to, perhaps more than, than normal, have greater opportunities, points of contact, open doors to, to talk about Jesus with others. And when we do, I pray that the Lord would, whether it's the next few weeks or, or any day of the year, that the Lord would help us and remind us that, yes, it's, it's wonderful to, to tell others about the end of the story. It's, it's wonderful to tell, and we need to talk about the middle But as we share and witness Christ to others and walk through the gospel, it's important that we start from the beginning and take then to the end. That we might fully explain to others as we pray and rely on the Spirit that they would understand the full picture of the gospel, the full picture of redemptive history, what it is that God is doing. Why is it? Why, when I need to put my trust in Christ, what is it that I'm being saved from? Why is Christ returning for a second time, you tell me, in this future that you assure me I want to be with him in this new heavens and new earth? To be able to fully, by God's grace, explain that to others and pray that it would grip their hearts. It's good to start in the beginning. We see in just this verse, kind of Puritan-ish here, as we look at our verse in the middle of Chapter 3, I, I hope that what we'll see is that Jesus Christ is the promised offspring who defeats Satan and saves God's people. It's the beginning of the story. It's the beginning of redemptive history as the Lord is moving, as we see here again, to defeat Satan and save his people. And we're going to look at three simple things, hostility, hope, and hesed. Hostility. We'll start there. That's where our verse begins, so I think it's a good place for us to begin as we look at hostility. So keeping with our World War II theme just a little longer, we'll drag it into the sermon a little farther here. This Tuesday marks, I think it's the 80th anniversary. Early Sunday morning out in Hawaii in Pearl Harbor, planes coming from the Japanese Navy surprised sailors that were getting up, starting their day. Some were even coming up on the deck of their ships for, for church service. And in this surprise attack, the Japanese army sought to do what they were told to do, which was to wipe out America's ability to fight, to destroy the enemy before the enemy ever 
comes to war. Like Japan, who hoped to defeat their enemy in this surprise attack, seemingly coming out of nowhere, Satan launches a surprise attack, as it is, against humanity. Now, obviously, it's not a surprise to God. But Satan comes into the garden, we see here in the beginning of chapter 3, and and he goes and he tells lies and, and he convinces Eve that God is not honest with her. Convinces her that, that God is holding back. And that the good stuff would be if she were to, were to defy the, the one command that God had given. Break his law. Betray him. And she does and then Adam does. In this seeming kamikaze-esque surprise attack is launched into the garden. And then you move, continuing through chapter 3, prior to the verse that we're looking at. And and the Lord confronts this situation as he comes down into the garden. He begins to deal with it. It brings us to where we are and. In verse 15, as we have witnessed, if you read a little earlier, as we know in in verse 13, the fall, fall that brings sin, death, hostility into the world, casting humanity away from God's holy presence. And then God, while he speaks of the curses in this chapter that are brought upon all those involved, the parties that are Partaking in this, in verse 15, he, he begins again with enmity, with his, speaking of hostility. Enmity is used in the Old Testament five times. And every time it, it signifies a, a hostility that can even lead to murder. It's intense. It's hatred. It is, it's not just that I'm irritated with you. And God comes and explains that this, this hostility, this enmity was going to be between several, several parties at this point. I think we start off, we have to get justice here in chapter 3, that an enmity starts with, with God's enmity against sin. Sin has now entered into creation and God does not sit back and allow it to God, holy God must separate sin from him and do something about it. This enmity is brought in, God's enmity, hostility towards sin. We remember in the midst of this that he is in control. And then we see here in verse 15 itself, uh, three different enmities that are explained. Hostility that's before us. The, The first enmity is between Satan and the woman. And Satan struck first. Even as we read in in verse 15, he says, I'll put enmity between you, speaking to Satan and the woman. Satan is the one who launched the attack against humanity in the garden. Satan struck first. He's seeking 
holding on to that, that feeling of murder and seeking to, to bring about murder through lies. The picture that, that Christ explains in, in John chapter 8 is he, he says that. He's, he's, he's interacting and he, he's talking with those religious leaders. And he says to them in verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. So from the beginning, he was one full of enmity and desires for murder. He's the one that brought sin, and sin has the wages of death. Murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth. He's a liar because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We see this first enmity between, again, Satan and the woman. And then in verse 15, we see a second relationship of enmity between Satan's offsprings and the woman's offspring. It's a I think speaking of spiritual offspring. So you have enmity between those who, as we just read in, in John eight forty four, would be classified unbelievers, those who are outside of Christ, those who their father is the devil and Satan. In comparison to in Matthew chapter six, verse nine, it's, we have an, another picture of Christ teaching how to pray, giving a model on how to pray, and he says, Our Father who art in heaven is how he teaches his disciples, those who believe and have faith in him. Two different lineages under two different fathers. So we see in the beginning as we start verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. But then I think it, it dives down and gets specific to a third, a third climax of this enmity. And that's between Jesus and Satan. And whereas in the beginning of the verse we see Satan is listed first, for he is the one who, who brings the aggression against humanity. God then goes on to say that he... He, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, shall bruise your head, bring this mortal wound. He is the one who has victory, and you shall bruise his heel. In Galatians chapter 3, we read that earlier for our New Testament reading this evening. Not to reread the whole thing, but just to bring to mind what we read, reading verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. We work our way through. We've gotten to Galatians. We've, we've moved through the Old Covenant into the New Covenant, and we see the, the picture. Covenant of grace. We see this offspring. It's the promised offspring. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the climax of the enmity that's been put in place here. There was enmity to begin, as we saw in the very beginning in, in verse 15, that, that Satan, as he attacked humanity, God puts enmity 
There's enmity there. And then there's enmity between the spiritual lineages, those who are the children of Satan, those who are the children of God, and then enmity between our Savior, the promised offspring, Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who comes to defeat Satan and save God's people. That's hostility. That's the, the bad news, as it were. But then we have hope. Hope in this verse. The verse gives us hope in the midst of not only the hostility that we're reading of there, but the hostility that we're living in, as, as one commentator encourages us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it's messianic. And the identity of the said descendant is clear from genealogies such as Luke chapter 3, in which the line of Jesus is traced back to Adam and Eve. Jesus is in the direct lineage from the woman. Jesus is simply the he of Genesis 3.15. It is significant in confirming this truth that immediately after the genealogy in Luke 3, we read how Jesus is led into battle with Satan in the wilderness temptation. It's a raging war that finds its climax at the cross where the Messiah lands a mortal blow to the serpent in consequence contained in the curse on the serpent from Genesis 3 is the prophecy that God will send a redeemer to crush the enemy. Jesus is the seed or offspring who is descended from Eve and went to do battle against Satan. The remainder of scripture is an unfolding of the prophecy of Genesis 3.15. Redemption is promised in this one verse. And the Bible traces the development of that redemptive theme. So we start at the beginning. As we work our way through God's word, through redemptive history, understanding as we open and explain the gospel. It's a joy to start with the promised offspring. And God's people trusting in Christ have have hope in Christ who's in control of all things. Christ who crushes Satan's head. Christ who we look forward to in his return will cast serpent into hell that he might not have enmity against God's children anymore this verse gives hope today to all who hear it and hear it with my God's grace eyes open and ears open as well so as we read it it's not only the beginning that we go to not only is there encouragement there and we can say yes I I see that praise the Lord Thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, but we see God's covenant faithfulness continuing, and we are encouraged and have hope even from it today. If you take take verse fifteen out of chapter three, you take verse fifteen that kind of negates verse twenty to twenty one, and then you're left with. dystopian disaster sin entered the universe destroying everything God rightfully dealing with it but being wholly separated from a sinful humanity and yet yet verse 15 anchored in the midst of this in the midst of of all this hostility hope God gives hope God says how he's going to deal with this he gives the first promise and glimpse of the gospel, what it would do. And, and we see that 
in the context of this that Adam and Eve understood it, believed it. Adam then continues on in verse 20. He, he names his wife Eve because she's the mother of all living. He heard. He understood. God makes for Adam, for his wife, garments of skins and clothes them. And then and we move on. We even, we even look at the expectations that Adam and Eve had for Cain. They were expecting that right away that God was delivering this promise. They were trusting. They were trusting that this promised offspring would come to defeat Satan and save God's people. You know, we talk often about how you can't really share or understand the gospel completely. You can't have good news without the context of the bad news. It ties, ties in a little bit what I said earlier about that's a good question. If you tell someone, you know, you need to be saved. Okay. Saved from what? Someone who has no context of scriptures, having any type of Christian worldview and understanding. Saved from what? With a fallen heart and nature that loves what they're pursuing is in rebellion against God. Without the full picture and the spirit working, opening eyes to see the truth that, that God has revealed in his word. Saved from the sin that condemns. Sinful nature. It will take those outside of Christ to the prison which Satan will be cast into at the second coming of our Lord and Savior. But as we understand the bad news, beginning of, of chapter 3, moving our way down, then we've, we can really rejoice. We can understand the good news. We can see the, in verse 15 and fully grasp. And then as we work our way through the scriptures and God continues to to reveal more and more and more and build upon, not to, not to change things or to audible, but to build upon and open up more and more and more, a better understanding of what he's doing throughout redemptive history as he is working, moving. As we saw going through Luke, as Christ accomplished the salvation of his people. And even now sits at the right hand of the Father and rules over his universe. And we look forward to his return. Understanding the bad news helps us to grasp how beautiful the good news is. It gives us real hope. Hope in Christ, our Savior. Hope that looks forward to his return, but yet it also is a hope that's beginning and built upon the first, this promise that the offspring would come, defeat Satan, save God's people. And then we celebrate the incarnation, this perfect life, death on the cross, resurrection, ascension. But it really, our rejoicing, our worship, our understanding begins at the foundation. The Lord gives us this first picture 
of the gospel and the promise. It's hostility, and then opens up to hope because of God. And then because of that hope, we see Hesed. I think this verse shows us God's Hesed love before us. It's about 250 50 times of that words throughout the Old Testament. Has to express God's mercy, compassion, love, grace, and covenant faithfulness towards his people. So it's not just saying that God has really, really great love, but it is that he has. He's loving, he's, he's merciful, he's compassionate, he, he's graceful, he's faithful towards his people. In Genesis 3.15 here, we... We see display God's hesed love in the face of Adam and Eve's sinful betrayal of him. They've been given. They've been given this one command. Just, just believe me. Just trust what I say. Just this one thing, Adam. Just do this one thing. And trust that it's good for you. Because I love you. I am your creator, I am your God. And in that, they listen. And this attack by the devil, they listen and they betray the Lord. They sin against him. In the midst of that, he doesn't abandon them. He moves ahead, seeking to fix the situation. Dealing with sin. Dealing with sin in a costly way. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That hesed love, that promise. That Christ would defeat Satan and save God's people. In the gospel message, we, we see that God loves unloving sinners. God loves us before we love him. Again, he has hesed love towards his people. This unmerited love in which he brings forgiveness through Christ. And in Christ's death, humiliation accomplishes the forgiveness for his people. This blade hesed love. This verse shows God's hesed love towards even you, dear saint. So again, it's not just something we read of thousands and thousands of years ago, but but it is a praise the Lord that He gave it to us. Praise the Lord that He has revealed this truth to us that we might understand, we might see, and as the Spirit opens our eyes and ears to the truth that we might by God's grace, even love him more and appreciate and be thankful for and praise and worship him for the love that he showed to us when we do not deserve it. Peace with God. This hested love brings peace with God because of his loving covenant faithfulness towards you. 
peace from God, not from you, not from me, not from us. The peace that, that God accomplished and then gave to us. A peace that, yes, drives us to respond in loving obedience, but is not generated or created through our loving obedience. I think of the test of love, thinking of the fall and, and God's, how he deals with, with this reality, deals with sin, redeems his people. There's a couple sentences. They're small, so they make up about one long sentence. Augustine wrote in his Confessions, and I think sums it up well. As he's talking about God, he says, You never go away from us, yet we have difficulty in returning to you. Come, Lord, stir us up and call us back. Kindle and seize us. Be our fire and our sweetness. Let us love. Let us run. We see God's hessed love on display there towards his people. Augustine describing that. God is never far from us, yet we have difficulty in returning to you, Lord. Be our fire, be our sweetness. So every day, not just in the crazy, hectic days that are around us for this next couple of weeks, but each and every day, but, but don't sacrifice the days that we're in. Think about God's hessed love for you. And then when you praise him and, and rejoice in that, tell others. Tell others what it seems to be so unbelievable. It is so amazing. And tell it to them, not just, not just the beginning, not just the end, not just the middle, but from beginning, middle to end. Tell the whole story. And pray the Spirit will use it. Taking beginning to end through the gospel. That we might... Cherish the fact that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the promised offspring, one who defeats Satan, saves God's people. Oh Lord, we thank you for this. We ask that it would be sweetness to us as we ask that you would be sweetness to us. Lord, we ask that you might help us to be reminded of your goodness and your grace from the beginning. Lord, may we never be stuck in just the beginning, the middle, or the end, but may we remember it all. For you are worthy to be worshipped because of what you have done in saving us. Even as we better understand it from beginning to middle to end, Lord, grow our love for you and our faithfulness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.